It is the first Sunday in Lent, or at least it was, <laughs> when Barry preached. Um, we started a new series called Unhurried. And the sermon was The Right Tempo. The Right Tempo. We heard a little bit from Matthew. And if you want to hear that Well, we, bit, we read from the Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been weird. <laughs> We heard from Matthew. Uh, sure, fine. Um, makes sense. So if you want to listen to the scripture and uh, listen to the message, go ahead and do that. If not, you can look for the timestamp in the show notes and catch us for some reflection with special guest Matthew from the Gospels. <laughs> Who we like to call Maddie. <laughs> Hear these words from Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning. Pray with me. Holy One, may my words become your word in the hearing of your people by the ever-present inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Two thousand years... That's a long time, just in case you were wondering. Seriously, things have changed in that time, right? Seriously. You may have noticed, just in case you were wondering. Some stuff in the Bible uh, gets lost to us because pieces reference lifestyle elements that are that are either totally non-existent now or are reserved for a part of the world or for culture with which we have very little familiarity. So take our text from Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. Uh, For most of us in the 21st century, yoke is the yellow center of the egg. So taking my yoke upon you is a little bit gross. It's easy, like over easy, apparently. I know, different spelling, different meaning. It's English, same sound. The yoke of which Jesus speaks attaches a farming implement to a beast of burden. There are single yokes that attach a plow or another farm kind of implement to a single animal. And, and it works. It works. Though it is tough on the animal, for they're working all the time. They're working solo, taking on the full burden of the tool for themselves. A double yoke, a double yoke uh, puts two beasts together, shoulder to shoulder, pulling that single implement. They have company. They pull together. One can back off for a bit while the other takes the majority load and then vice versa. Ah. 
Jesus says, come, you who have been burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, more like share my yoke, and learn from me. My yoke is easy. Actually, Jesus never promises that his yoke is easy. Here's a fun fact you may not have been expecting to get this Sunday morning. Jesus didn't speak English. <laughs> you heard it from me. He spoke Aramaic, which was translated into Greek, which was much later translated into English. We don't have access to the original Aramaic words, but we can find the Greek translation easy enough. And when we look at the Greek, we find that the word frequently translated as easy is krestos, C-R-E-S-T-O-S, transliterated into English. A better translation of krestos would be kind. My yoke is kind. An even better translation, given the context of yoking animals, would be well-fitting. A well-fitting yoke is kind to the animal because it does not unduly rub or cause the animal to move off of its natural and normal gait. If you place an ill-fitting yoke on an ox, it doesn't matter how light the load might be. Every ounce of effort will be burdensome and painful. Yet even a heavy burden is bearable if the yoke is a comfortable custom fit. It's like any, any bit of human clothing, it is all much more bearable if it fits well, right? So Jesus is telling us that in contrast to other yokes, typically heavy wood and leather apparatus, his fits. It feels better because of it and enables the work to be done in a much more uh, bearable way custom-made because what we need for a good fit is known by the one who created us. Jesus' yoke isn't a one-size-fits-all deal. It fits you perfectly, like it was made just for you, and it fits me perfectly like it was made just for me, because it was. There's another thing about this yoke image. Being yoked with another has the capacity to correct direction and tempo of the animal's work. They stay the course and auto-correct each other in the work, feeling the movement of the shoulders back and forth, feeling the breath and sound and muscle and movement of the other. They go straight and keep the row clear. Sure, there's still a handler making sure the rows are started well and the direction is true, but two beasts of burden do the work better together. Huh? The two do the work better together. You know, they go together like shamalama ding dong. <laughs> I kind of love this. Out east where I first served as a pastor when I was in seminary, I had to wear a collar in the church I served. One of these deals. This, truth be told, this is, this is a dicky, like it's a shirt underneath the shirt. <laughs> more than you wanted to know, because the one that I normally wear, I couldn't get on because my, my neck got fat. I couldn't wear it. So this is what I was stuck with this morning. And uh, so I, I always wear a full band collar, and Pastor Jess wears a tab collar. Um, and truth be told, they are not the most comfortable garments in the world. 
But out east, um, at most hoity-toity churches, it's typical. And elsewhere in the world, it's what pastor types called clergy wear these white collars that symbolize that we are people of the cloth, what these were made of initially. But first, but first, they are symbols of our being yoked to Christ in this ministry, yoked to Christ. We're not doing this alone. We are yoked to Christ in this ministry. Clergy, then, are to understand ourselves as uniquely fitted to this particular set of ministry symbols bound to Christ, being constantly and consistently taught the way of shared work with Christ. And thankfully, both Jess and I know this, whether we're wearing, not, whether we're wearing the collars or not, because we don't always like to wear the collars. Um, we wear them quite typically when we go out and need to do something in the community where we want to be identified as clergy, where that's an important thing. If we're doing a social justice gathering, for instance, we want to go as clergy and, and make clear that we're supporting whatever it is that, um, that we happen to be talking about and standing for on that day. Um, for us, it's about the shared work of Christ. It's funny to think about, really, the full white band collar because it's anything but well-fitted or comfortable. But I think that is not Christ's fault or point. It's not Jesus' problem that my neck was, has clearly put on lots of weight since I last was fitted for a collar. And, sound, and really being fitted for a collar sounds a little weird, so I think I'll move on. Jesus begins the teaching on the yoke by inviting all who are weary from carrying heavy burdens to come to him, to be given rest. It's not just an invitation for folks ordained to particular professional roles in the church. It's an invitation for all of us who are, who are weighed down in whatever kind of work we do, whether it's paid or not, conscripted or not, valued or not, come, Jesus says, and get rest. That rest, then, is connected to this image that would have been very familiar in that agrarian, farming kind of culture. Jesus says, you're weary? Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. It fits. You'll see. We will do the work together, and you can rest while I keep the rhythm going, stay the course, complete the vision to the end of the row. Resting in this image is not taking a nap, but it's sharing the burden such that compared to going it alone, the burden is lightened and it's, well, more restful. You'll see. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn how to do this work we share. You are not alone. You are not alone. I used to play a pretty decent game of racquetball, like all sports where you hit a ball with an object, rackets, paddles, clubs, etc. Part of getting good is discovering and then consistently hitting the sweet spot. The sweet spot. That sweet spot is impactful and minimizes vibrations. You know you hit the sweet spot when you barely feel it, but you hear it and you see it go. Maybe that's some of what Jesus invites followers to. Take my yoke, custom fitted for you. Do the kingdom building work I'm doing, and the sweet, sweet spot will be near effortless. Like, like that poster of the dual set of footprints in the sand, remember that? Where there is a single set of steps, that is where Jesus says, I carried you. 
It's important to understand that Jesus is inviting people to be full participants in this new empire, this kingdom of God. We're being invited to be yoked in the creation of that kingdom here as a counter-political and counter-cultural redo of God's intent in creation. Reverend Eric Elness talks about it in this way. He says in the film adaptation based on Susan Orlean's nonfiction book, The Orchid Thief, an unorthodox orchid hunter named John LaRoche reminds us of what it's like to sense the call when he speaks of the attraction between an insect and the specific orchid it is meant to pollinate. There's a certain orchid that looks exactly like a certain insect, so the insect is drawn to the flower. It's double, it's soulmate, and wants nothing more than to make love to it. After the insect flies off, it spots another soulmate flower and makes love to it, thus pollinating it. And neither flower nor the insect will ever understand the significance of their lovemaking. I mean, how could they know that because of their little dance, the world lives? But it does. By simply doing what they're designed to do, something large and magnificent happens, he writes. In this sense, they show us how to live, how the only barometer you have is your heart, how when you spot your flower, you can't let anything else get in your way. This image of the insect pollinating the orchid suggests why living within our sweet spot connects us to our theme for this, these six weeks of Lent beginning today an unhurried God. That insect isn't busy trying to pollinate every flower in a given field, right? Doesn't have time for that nonsense. It lives to pollinate just one flower, the one it was created to pollinate. So it flies by hundreds of flowers without giving them an ounce of time or energy, without feeling the slightest bit of guilt or, guilt or, duty, or being duty-bound uh, to go after more than one kind of flower. It keeps going until it finds the one that it's meant to pollinate. Do you catch the kingdom contrast to the way we tend to live? We tend to be machine-driven, tractor and 10-row plow kinds of people. Jesus invites us to take up his yoke, to slow down and join this kingdom work, working in rhythm, shoulder to shoulder, a shared vision and a shared work of loving God, loving self, and loving others. It is countercultural because we all hear all of the other flowers calling us, to say, calling us, saying things like, hey, come pollinate me. Don't you have a heart? Why are you flying right past me? Really, I don't demand very much of your time. And aren't I just as deserving of your help as the next flower? We hear that buzzing all the time. And Jesus reminds us to take on his sweet spot yoke, an unhurried relationship of mutual ministry. So in this first week of Lent, I want to invite you to spend some time maybe taking a walk, or sitting bef before a lit candle, and consider the yoke Jesus wants to share with you in kingdom building. What is the mutual ministry that seems tailored just for you, that's a good fit, that feels like a sweet spot? 
What might you shed in your busy lives to stay the course of working unhurriedly in that right tempo that by contemporary standards may, might seem slow, it might even seem plodding? What might you learn from the Christ as you work alongside the Christ this week? Amen and amen. We're back. Mm-hmm. And are so glad that you are back as well. Yes, sure. We are. It's shocking to us that folks listen, so thanks. So Lent one, we were uh, in purple um, for the season, and we were collared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not as in arrested. No, um, no, not as in arrested or, or as in treating fleas. I'm just as in what <laughs> professional garb. As uh, as you demonstrated, we were real-life examples of a, a metaphoric yoke. A metaphoric yoke. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, so the scripture's uh, all about um, Jesus inviting us in our weariness to get yoked with the Christ and um, yeah that's that's where we that's where we went and it took me you know 15 minutes to talk about that <laughs> you talked about some other things I did mm-hmm um, what did you what was the takeaway you wanted people to get um, I wanted people to take away that um, this because we we hear a lot about this weary you know, come to me all you are weary and I will give you rest. Mm-hmm. And I wanted them to understand that this is not uh, the kind of rest that we usually think about as, uh, you know, um, staying put in bed and watching watching TV relentlessly. That it continues to be the work of uh, critical ministry in our lives and everywhere that we impact uh, the kingdom for God's God's good work. Every time we impact somebody else's life, it is it is ministry. Um, and allow our lives to be impacted. And so I wanted them to see that the that what we are invited to by taking on the yoke is really sharing in the ministry of, of Jesus, and that sharing is uh, is relief to us and gives us gives us rest because the rhythm of the two animals working together allows for one to rest while the other is, is doing the work and, and switching off in that way. Mm-hmm. I also liked. Um you explaining the Greek a little bit better because it, our language is limiting when we hear my yoke is easy. Um, we think that means without labor. <laughs> we will not have to put in effort. Um, and I think you did a really nice job explaining like, no, it just means this is what you were designed for, right? Like it's it's designed for you. Like There's some sort of, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing and extrapolating a bit. Extrapolating, yes, um, indeed. Yeah, but that, you know, the yoke that Christ has for us is, uh, you know, loving God and loving neighbor, that that which we were made for. So it fits us well. Yeah. And it's easy. It's not distracting in that sense. So I appreciated that. Love a good animal reference, too. You know, even put animal pictures up on the screen. So it's mm-hmm. pretty exciting. Pr- pretty exciting day. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it was helpful for me to, to go back and, and think about that double yoke image and, um, and the sense that um, 
because we look at the yoke and we think, you know, yoke is a yoke and, and it doesn't ever look like it's something that's attractive or would feel good. But obviously how it gets made um, will have everything to do with, with how much wear and tear there is on the body. So the sense that the, the yoke um, for us is made for us, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it may not mean that we want to put it on. Uh, but the assurance that uh, if we put it on, we'll find out that it fits as, as well as it possibly can. Hmm. Yeah. One, well, not to belabor your point, um, but I think sometimes people have this idea that what we would consider beasts of burden or any working animals are um, being mistreated or like misused. <laughs> but if you've ever been around a well-treated working animal like they love what they do they love it um they get excited um and a lot of that has to do with the reward that comes from it but just the activity because they were designed for it they were it was it's their purpose they were bred for that purpose um and that made me think like oh yeah like there's there's a little bit more um you know uh design in this than we perhaps think it's not just i've got to put on you know a piece of clothing and work really hard um so i i like i'm here for it i enjoyed it and if we think about, and I didn't go deep into this, but if, but if, if we think about um, God as the owner-handler, um, the, the motivation for the owner-handler is to make it as um, easy on mm-hmm. the animal as possible because mm-hmm. they've got a huge investment in, mm-hmm. that, in that animal, and they want that animal to, to last as long as possible. Yeah, um, you've got to treat them well. <laughs> yeah, treat them well, feed yeah. them well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I love an extended animal metaphor. We get a lot of them in the Bible here for it. You had some others in there that were kind of fun. I was not expecting oxen, racquetball, and bug flower sex to show up in the same message. <laughs> you know. And you were full of surprises. Well, it's, it's one, of the, one of the things that when we, because this is a series that, um, uh, we're taking pieces from uh, Marsha McPhee, and mm-hmm. when you're doing somebody else's design, you're looking at their notes as well, and they and and you get your own idea coming in at the same time that you yeah. get getting somebody else's. So, um, yeah, the 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 uh, orchid. What was the what was the language? The unorthodox orchid. <laughs> <laughs> It was like the reading of a book jacket, right? Where it was yeah. like unorthodox orchid hunter. <laughs> and it was, I think Barry was trying to have a contemplative moment. It was like after prayer stations and I leaned over and I was like, what do you think an orthodox orchid hunter is? <laughs> like, what? Is there a standard of orth- orchid hunters? And there's one that just doesn't fit the mold. Um, a I, it's doctrinally very pure orthodox hunter. <laughs> orthodox hunter. Orchid <laughs> Um, yeah, I didn't even know orchids had hunters, so I learned a lot just in that little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, and the imagery of the uh, the uh, the bird, what do you call it? The bug? Was it a bug? It was a bug, yeah. An insect. I always think about it as a... Uh, hummingbird? Hummingbird, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Fill in my blanks. That's yes. scary, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, um, uh, it was very poetic, and I think, uh, like, the quote was really beautiful, but it did make me think about how, 
um, again, kind of with animals, like, uh, they have, they have a purpose, right, and they, and they kind of, they fulfill it, um, and it, I've, I'm guessing I've talked about this on here before, but my, um, it reminded me of my favorite poem by Wendell Berry, The Peace of Wild Things, I love it so much, I have a picture of it tattooed on my arm, um, but it's, animals, you know, don't tax themselves with the forethought of grief, and, th- and that's what I was thinking when you were talking about that. Just like they do what they were intended to do, and and they can they can keep their focus until they're done, and then they move along. Yeah. And uh, we can't always do that, and that's okay. But I, it's really beautiful, um, the simplification of that. Yeah, it's a it's a rabbit hole that I went down in preparation, but did not go to in the in the message itself, and that is that. We as humans tend to think of ourselves as beyond yeah. the rest of, of uh, the animal kingdom, uh, really beyond anything that, that has life, mm-hmm. right? So we can easily imagine a bug having a purpose or a, uh, a, a flower or other vegetarian, a vegetation having a purpose, uh, an ox having a purpose um, to be fulfilled. And that part of the work of the human is to help them fulfill that, like they need our help to do that. Um, but we don't see ourselves in uh-uh. that same category at all, at all. We don't see ourselves as um, at the um, really partnering with God to fulfill this purpose. And so when we get this image of of God putting us, aligning us with an with an oxen or another beast of burden, and say to say this is all right, I'm doing this with you. Uh-huh. But it's still, it is still what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And we, um, in, the, in the species world, we are classic overthinkers and overanalyzers. <laughs> Some, Some of us, of more, us than more than others. others. <laughs> um, well... Yeah, but to also to think that, uh, you know, the way we interpret that is like God has this unique, individual, singular purpose for me. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's maybe, uh, we, we just make things too individual. Yeah, the whole right? God's plan thing is not this. Yes, yep. Um, and so there's kind of a bigger, broader, we don't have to stress out as much about that. Like we're going to live our life and if we can figure out how to love God and neighbor and become in practice of that when we are presented with those opportunities, like we will do what God, what God is asking us to do and being in alignment with God. Um, there's not always one singular purpose you're going to miss out on um, if you don't do X, Y, or Z. That's, that has not been my experience of God, the infinite, right? Whereas that would be very finite. Yeah. And um, I, I liked your use of other, particularly animals. Cause we, we, we think we can't learn anything from them. Yeah. And I, I think that's arrogant. Um, you said it nicely before that we're beyond, like we think we're beyond. But I, th- I think there's an arrogance in humanity to think uh, we are, we, we kind of make idols of ourselves in this God place of being above and better than. And that God deals with us in a different way. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that, 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 you know, every, all the, uh, the rest of the, uh, of the living world um, sort of, this is this is what it is, and but for us, we get this individual um, 
uh, tour guide <laughs> pamphlet yeah. that says this is God's plan for me, mm-hmm. and that we spend an awful lot of our time in life thinking that it, that what we have to do is figure out this this code mm. that God has put there that is that is my personal plan. Um, sorry. I mean, I see that on Facebook a lot and would love to have conversations with people about this, uh, that God has a particular purpose or plan for my life that is uh, somehow uh, a unique and different. Yeah, distinct from everyone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's a nuance there because we would say God is present in all of it. God's presence is... Uh, is there right? God? There's nowhere where God isn't, uh, but the difference between God's presence interacting with in a in a relationship that is not authoritarian or directing or you know um, to the point where God has a singular path for you to go on and God's just present in all of it and willing things you know it, it's a nuance but it's helpful. So if you're looking for ways to kind of think through that or or to challenge. Um, that what we'd call embedded theology, because a lot of us were taught that when we were younger, really replacing uh, an individual purpose with um, constant presence. I I have personally found that to be helpful, Um, and maybe it will be for you too. Well, and I think this series is going to touch on that in a number of places. You're going to hit on it this coming week uh, as you consider... um, as you consider the 23rd Psalm um, and what does it mean for, for God to be present with us and for us to be present at God's table, um, share, sharing the exact same meal. There's nothing special about the meal I'm getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, that might have been, you know. Well, it's, it's special in that we all get it, right, and that we get to share it. It's just not a unique, distinct, you know. Yeah, it's it's not like we're all ordering off a menu, but getting what we what we get, you know. Yeah, and I I think sometimes, um, or I'm I'm guessing you have encountered folks too when they're presented with this idea that God is not individually directing every single path in your life. Um, there's kind of some anxiety and some grief. Yeah. Um, and so if you are encountering that, that's I think really, uh, really normal and something to challenge. I have honestly found it really freeing to give that up and realizing, okay, well, that means that there's not some grand missed opportunity. Um, every day is this opportunity. And like, I, I am where I'm at and I can do what I can do and God can be present with me, but it's, we make it more, we make it more complicated. Like there's not, it's not the board game, right. Of life. <laughs> it's not shoots and ladders where there's one, you know, like you roll the dice and then you go X amount um, and so I think there's freedom in realizing, hey, there's not one thing. There are many things, and God is with us throughout all of them, and we can find where yeah. God is. Yeah, Indigo Girls wrote, uh, the hardest to do is the least complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and, you know, we're going through that season of change here, and, uh, like, um, I'm excited to be going where I'm going in no way did I anticipate this This was going to be what this is going to look like. Um, and I'm confident that, that God is present in it, uh, whether or not that is that has been charted out in some book of life way ahead of time or yeah. not, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, in fact, it, I, it's, it's 
it's contrary to my understanding of the relationship and contrary to my understanding of faith to think that our job is to figure out what's in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, again, it's reassuring to know, like, okay, we're, you know, it's one of those wherever you go, there you are, and there's God, right? Yeah. So um, God works with whatever. whatever I mean, I mean sometimes it's horrifying, <laughs> frankly, to go, to go somewhere and find God's there again. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> because, because sometimes being present with God in that, in that space uh, is is not comforting. Sometimes it's, it's like confusing and challenging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we tend to think that every time God shows up, that's going to be a comforting moment. Um, mm. Mm. <laughs> not always the case. Not always the case. Yeah. We were talking about this a little bit in confirmation last night um, because I, I asked the confirmands, okay, like tell me where you're experiencing God in your life. And they had a pretty hard time. And so we talked about how so often we would rather perceive God as this supernatural, above nature being, directing our movements, and then we would have these supernatural experiences every once in a while. And at least in our tradition, that's not how the majority of folks experience God. Um, I will not preclude it. That's just not how the mo- most of us right. in United Methodism experience God. And then so we talked about how we have, like, we're in the season of Lent. One of the reasons we have these different seasons are because they give us different patterns of how we can find God in our midst, that we have some responsibility and some agency. It's not just God, like, we're passively walking around here, and every once in a while God throws something at us or a lightning bolt. We have the ability as Christians um, to pursue and find where God is moving. Not always, but we at least have the... um, I think the call to try to figure it out, right? To see like, hey, where, what is God up to here in this space? Can, can I perceive it, right? Can, I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Do you not pursue it? Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. And, and even our language breaks down. I mean, you talked a number yes. of times there about finding God. It's not, it's not though like... God's hide, lost. It's not like, it's not like hide and hide seek. Hide and seek. <laughs> it's not like that. It's, it's finding yeah. my own space where yes, yes. where I can where I can experience God in whatever yeah. way that might be, it might be finding a, a moment of reassurance, a, a mm-hmm. reminder of presence. It might be a question that you have not considered before that is worth considering. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah. No, I did not mean to imply that we no, should no, no, go no. on a divine hide and seek. <laughs> no, no, no. But I think I think culturally that's the language we use. I've got to find God. Yeah, as if God is mysteriously away. Where, like yesterday, um, we we had we did some visio divina with a prayer, and so we were engaging in practices that require us to do things that might make us feel a little uncomfortable and out of our everyday. Because if I'm being told I have a hard time perceiving God, then maybe we need to switch up what we're doing consistently. Yes. In order to kind of make that switch, which our seasons kind of help us with, and it was a really interesting experience. Some were like, "This is okay. I'm neutral about it." Some folks really liked it. Some folks didn't. But it was an opportunity at least to um, challenge themselves spiritually to like per, like do something new or different that they hadn't done before, wherein they may or may not encounter um, God in any way. Yeah. 
Well, it's another place, uh, dear people, where your pastors are contrary to popular Christianity. You know, where where uh, it feels like an awful lot of cars over the last 20 years have had bumper stickers that say, I found it. And the reference mm-hmm. is to, uh, I have found this, um, I have found salvation, I have found uh, peace, I have found something that is connected to this God that has apparently not been the the hound of heaven who's always who's always trying to tap on our shoulder and say here i am mm-hmm. um but is rather this really good uh player of hide and seek and knows where all the best spots are uh, and we are kind of lousy at at uh tweaking those out so from uh, from our perspective i think it's all about putting yourselves um in spaces where 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 we are attentive mm-hmm. to the presence of god that is already there well, and if, if I might, if I may, you just may. to consistently dispel folks' notions or understanding of progressive Christianity, right? I say progressive Christianity, people think political spectrum and they think far left. I need you to get that out of your brain entirely. This is another way where progressive really means more of the actual word and that we understand our faith to constantly... Um, be moving and growing and evolving. And there's not, there's not an, I found it. There might be an, I found it for a moment. Um, I will find it again. I will encounter God in new ways, but we really don't, you know, we have these pivotal, important moments, but they're not static. Right. We're consistently growing. And, and as a faith, part of being progressive is always moving further into the margins, the places where Jesus was, where we're, we keep expanding the circle. We are progressing to make sure folks are included and can under, you know, are, are under the umbrella of how we understand the people of God to be. Um, and that, I think, is an excellent example. There is not, you know, there's not, you can have a bumper sticker that said, I found it once and hopefully I will get it. <laughs> you need a really big car to put that on. Yeah, there. I'm trying really yeah. hard, you know, or whatever. Well, yeah, and, and I think that another way to, to think about it is, is is God is not ours to possess. Mm-mm. And uh, so, you know, when I've done spiritual uh, growth work with um, with therapists and, and with spiritual guides, you know, the our, our tendency is to to image something that we hold tight in our hands where when we're doing spiritual growth work, it is opening our hands and, and finding ways to say, God is, God is touching here, but I cannot hold, mm-hmm. you know, in the same kind of, in the same kind of cheesy way we used to talk about, um, uh, love, you know, if you don't let it go, it wasn't yours to begin with. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, but, but in this case, it's about, it's not about God so much at all as our own arrogance to think that we could, we could have anything more than a moment where we have we have confidence that yeah. that we are together with with God, and that and the, when we have those moments, we get to remember them literally, remember, reconnect, mm-hmm. uh, which is the root of religion. Religion is supposed to do that; is re, is to keep reconnecting us to the moments where we have been. We have felt uh, this oneness between ourselves and God, and it's not something that's going to happen nonstop. Yeah. And um, I'm at least with my thoughts, I'm going to wrap them up because we could talk about this forever. Come yeah. on, come on, keep going. Let's come on. What is this four-hour podcast? That's fine. <laughs> break it up. Um, this is so important because 
I know folks, and I think um, what we would call cultural Christianity or generic dominant Christianity would say there, there is one point where you have some sort of encounter with God that is so magical and mystical and you give your life over and you know for certain and you are reassured and you are good forever. The majority of folks don't experience God that way, especially if you were brought up in the church. If you are brought up in the church, like, I, again, we talked about this with confirmants because they were like, hey, I think I'm defunct because I haven't had this thing. And it's like, no, there's, you know, some people have that thing and that's great. Um, and there are some communities that really highly value that. And that's okay. We're just not one of those communities. We understand our faith to be a little different where we have a series of moments, a series of moments. And they start when they start and they kind of keep moving. But for many of us, it, it was before we even knew what was going on in our baptism as babies. And that's why we start talking about that. Um, and it's it was really reassuring, at least to them. And I remember it being reassuring to me. I didn't have a huge conversion experience where I left everything I did behind and had a 180 turn, right? Um, and so knowing that that turning, 180 turning, happens all the time <laughs> and it's something I need to consistently do, and you're, you're not at a deficit. Uh, your faith life isn't lacking. You don't have to constantly go perceive some sort of huge conversion or um, emotionally manipulative concert where there's an altar call. Unless that's your thing, go for it. But you don't have to have that experience in order, um, in order to profess and, and live out your faith, even though some of us do. Yeah, and if you've had that experience, as, as I did, and I very quickly needed to keep replaying that in my head and go okay what was what was what was solid about that and what was totally misleading about that mm. um so the experience is just that it's an experience and as in all experiences in life they are there to both embolden us and to humble us mm. um, and they ought to be doing both of those things along the way so if we cannot question that uh that really powerful moment that we may have had, um, that's then we need to question about whether that's really a God thing. Because if God cannot be questioned, that's not really God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, it's okay to question and be curious as to if you have not why that might be, yeah. um, because it's again, life is the series, right? Our, our faith is the series of moments that we kind of, um, yeah, we're progressing through. You know, onward toward perfection. <laughs> onward. Good good statement, Mr. Wesley. Thank you. Thank you. Well, y'all, that was a lot and a little tangential. Do you have more that you want to want to say? I, you know, I think that that, yeah, how we got there. I mean, I think that was an important conversation. So I think for yeah. now, that's good. And some of this, <laughs> I, I have a hunch we'll be picking up again Yeah. in Lent. So I think throughout this tuned. series, yeah, um, Barry and I are, are trying to, instead of making Lent a, one, a one-time discrete experience, trying to figure out how to carry it beyond Easter. So we'll keep having these conversations. Next yeah. week, uh, we'll be talking about an unhurried, a place at the table. Yep. yep. So and if you want to pick up on this, uh, we do, both of us are uh, involved in the chapel chat at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Uh, it is in uh, in person only, uh, but uh, everybody's welcome, and we'll be picking up on this conversation. I'm sure there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.